Okay. Well, it wouldn't be a Sunday if we didn't have some level of technical difficulties, so uh, I'll get used to, to preaching with this. <laughs> I do not like having to hold a mic, but that's okay. Um, welcome here, everyone. Uh, welcome online. Jen, thanks so much for leaving us this morning. It was really, it was rich to, to be able to worship together. So, yeah, we are in the last Sunday of 2020 and you know it i feel like it's a year that simultaneously can feel like it's flowing by and feels like it's been ongoing for about five years like it's it's just a strange bizarre feeling this year and and you know i i was thinking about this this week that when we began 2020 and uh, when we looked into going into a new decade, there was tons of optimism. Like at, the, at this time last year, we were talking about all sorts of optimism. The, the catchphrase was 2020 vision and everything that we're going to do. And, and, and I, I was thinking of this and I looked at our, our prayer card that we had last year for prayer and fasting. And uh, I, I still have it hanging up in my office. And I was looking and we stated on our prayer card last year, we enter... 2020 as a church, community, and nation with a growing sense that we are living in the midst of very important days as it pertains to the gospel and seeing God move in our midst. That wasn't just a throwaway sort of let's tack this on to that prayer card. I remember seeking the Lord and I remember writing those words last year, feeling that and as I looked at that again, I thought that sentence has become so much more significant for me and, and I'm sure for many of us as we assess this year. Because I, I know that the sentiment of many is that we just want this year to be over with. Like we just, we want a new beginning. We want a turning of the page. I think there's so many people that just long for that. But let's not overlook the importance of these days and how God is moving and prepare, is preparing to move in our midst. I don't know what all of that looks like. I know that you don't know what all of that looks like, but God is working and moving. We entered this year speaking a lot about the renewal of God's presence amongst us. And now the irony of that is for the better part of this year, we've been apart. So did we just miss the boat? Like, did we just somehow not hear the Lord? I don't, I don't think so. I, I believe that God has been preparing for us, has been preparing us amidst these days. For the past seven months, we've been focusing on three words, presence, formation, witness. You might be like, I'm sick of those three words. I've heard a lot of those three words. I am intentionally just staying on those words because I feel like the Lord's saying you need to stay on those words talking about being formed into the way of Jesus seeking God's presence fostering these patterns of renewal in our lives because we need renewal right now as bad as we've ever needed it in the church and so We've been doing that. We intertwined Advent and the coming of Jesus, the light of God bearing his witness to the nations. And, and um, so we're talking about that within this series concerning how we also are witnesses on behalf of Jesus. We're not so much called to be witnesses as in 
you know, some have this calling, but others don't. We are, as followers of Jesus, witness is just who we are. Witness just is. I, I, would, I would encourage you and I would, I would um, challenge us to think of witness in that way, that it's not a calling. Witness just is if you are a follower of Jesus. And so we're going to conclude this series today by um, the series and the year. So we're, we're doing this together. But wanting to embrace this for 2021, talking about a people belonging to God. Uh, recently, I was, I was listening to a podcast that's been looking at the New Testament letters in depth, and uh, they were talking in this podcast about how the, the New Testament letters are just filled with hyperlinks to the Old Testament. You know, thinking about it in kind of the verbiage we think about. Like if you, if you have a real grasp of the Old Testament, you will see these links all over the New Testament. Like they're everywhere. And it's not just helpful to know that, but necessary if we're going to be growing and, and grasping Scripture as a whole so that we can see these. Because... What it does is it helps us to guard, it guards us against misinterpreting scripture while growing our biblical intellect and hopefully deepening its application in our lives. And, and the reason that the New Testament letters are filled with these so-called hyperlinks back to the Old Testament is because the New Testament writers were immersed in the Hebrew scriptures. Like the, he, the Holy Spirit was using their immersion as they were grasping the implications of Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection for God's people and for the nations. And they're looking at all of this in light of the Old Testament. And they're going, and the Holy Spirit was using all that to go, this is what the Lord is doing. And, and I would venture to say everything in the New Testament is touched by this. Everything. And so there is almost like an endless amount of hyperlinks throughout the New Testament. Certainly, you'll probably for the rest of your life going, go on finding more. Lots to be discovered. But some are more obvious than others. There's some that are, you just, they kind of just jump at the pa- off the page and you're like, oh yeah, I, I, yeah, I know where that's from. So we're going to look at one of those today. I want to draw some parallels for us and then some implications for us if we are to follow the way of Jesus. And so the two passages that I want to kind of put side by side this morning, if you will, are Exodus 19, verses 1 to 8, and 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10. And so I'm going to open up. uh, This Bible is way too big. Uh, It's the only... NIV that I have right now, <laughs> so I'll try to find stuff in here, but we're going to read, I want to read these two passages, um, and I, I've really been enjoying the NIV lately, so I'm, uh, that's why I'm reading from the NIV, I've just, I've really grown in my appreciation lately again for the NIV, so I'm going back to it a little bit again, Exodus 19 verses 1 to 8, it'll be um, on, the, uh, on the screen or online uh, as I read this. So in the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, 
They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountains. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And then let's jump over to 1 Peter 2, and we're going to read uh, verses 4 to 10. Starting in verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in me will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders, builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But now here's where Peter goes on. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So there's obviously parallels here that Peter is drawing for the recipients of his letter and what we see in Exodus 19. Just want to just want to consider this for a couple minutes here. So the people in this Exodus 19, they're essentially nomads in the Sinai Desert. They've left Egypt. They're homeless. They're stateless. They're wondering what's next. The recipients of Peter's letter here in the New Testament are Jewish followers of Jesus. They've been driven out of Jerusalem. They're now scattered and living as foreigners throughout modern-day Turkey, all over, and. People in Exodus, they're God's chosen people. God says there, you will be mine. They, they escaped out of Egypt. They were brought out of Egypt. There's the, the promise of better days ahead. And they're, they're trusting in God's plan to bring them into the promised land. Now consider that against first century, these people that Peter's writing to. These, these Jewish believers, they're scattered throughout the regions of, of what was known at the time as Asia Minor. They're addressed by Peter as strangers in the world. And he says, you've been given new birth into a living hope in Jesus. He says at the beginning of the letter, you have an inheritance in heaven that is waiting 
for you. So these two groups of people that we're reading here, there's, there's lots of unknowns. They're exiles. They're foreigners. They're strangers. They don't fit into the world's systems. And we see a pretty obvious hyperlink, if you will, in Peter's words that draws these two passages together. In Exodus, God says, these people, they are my treasured possession. They're a kingdom. You are to be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. The condition that God gives them is that you are to obey me fully and keep my covenant or serve him only. In 1 Peter, it says there, Peter's addressing these people. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. The condition there is being chosen. He says earlier in his letter in 1 Peter 1, verse 2, he says, you have been chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ. The condition is you obey Jesus. You follow the way of Jesus. And when Moses, when he delivers these words to the people, they respond, they say, we're going to live according to everything that the Lord has said. We're going to do this. And, and, and it's interesting because of the sheer holiness of God, the people, they're not either able to or they're fearful of even coming close to God. And so Moses, we know he acts as an intermediary between God and the people. But God tells them, after all this goes on, God tells Moses, he says, I want you to tell the people to consecrate themselves, prepare themselves for my presence. They are called to be set apart. And then it's after all of that that the Lord delivers the Ten Commandments to Moses. And those Ten Commandments that form the boundaries, if you will, of how God will meet with his people and how Israel is to live before the Lord. And so drawing on all this, Peter's drawing on all this, and Peter says, likewise, he says to the people in first century, scattered throughout modern-day Turkey, he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. As the people in Exodus 19 surrendered themselves to the Lord, he says, we are also called to be holy in all that we do. You know, it's interesting when Peter, when he reminds the people in chapter 1, he says, even though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. There, there almost seems to be echoes there where Peter's drawing on where the people in Exodus didn't see the Lord either due to his holiness. And it's like, The people in Exodus, they didn't see the Lord. And Peter's saying, you don't now see Jesus. But the point is, don't doubt his presence and his power. He is still, he is very much with us. Exodus 20 goes on to speak about not having any other gods beside the Lord. And there's this really interesting and sort of um, odd command about making sure to make altars there of undressed stones. They can't be uh, shaped and manufactured by the people. You are to just have stones that have not been touched. Peter says now, he says, you actually are now living stones. And that it's with our lives 
that we offer spiritual sacrifices. Paul uses this phrase actually in Philippians to speak of the offerings that have been given to him, the financial support that's been given to him, those who financially support him. He says, you have offered yourself as a, that's a, that's a fragrant spiritual sacrifice, the giving of ourselves, the giving of our resources, the giving of our finances. That's how we offer ourselves today as living sacrifices. And so there's a shift here from offering sacrifices to now it's our very selves who are the living sacrifices. Okay, so now here we are. 21st century in the Western world, first world country. We've been, we're Gentiles who've been brought into the family of God. We're part of the covenant promise to Abraham. But in many respects, we are very different from these first century exiles. We have wealth, we have affluence, we have safety, we have many more rights and freedoms right now currently than those that Peter is writing to had under the Roman Empire. But we also feel like there's a, that we sense there's shifts happening in our culture right now. More hostility and opposition to followers of Jesus in our society. There's less tolerance Feeling like there's a danger lurking maybe. We can feel this when it comes to religious freedom and freedom of speech. That there's, there's dangers lurking there. How, how do we properly understand and apply here what we've, what we've read here in our lives? How do we apply this to the church? And so I would ask us, has, has this changed? Are we still God's chosen people? Are, are we still called to be a royal priesthood. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, are we, are we called to worship and minister before the Lord? Are we called to be a holy nation? Meaning that we're, we're called to be set apart, that we're distinct as the people of God. Are we still a people belonging to God? Are, are we still to declare the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light? Are we still called to proclaim that? Scripture would say unequivocally, yes, yes, that is who we are. Throughout his letter, it's, it's, it's really interesting that Peter, he refers to his recipients being strangers and aliens in this world. And so being a follower of Jesus in this world on some level means we are foreign to this world. We, we are not called to fit seamlessly into the systems of this world that by the way by which this world is operating. Faith in Jesus calls us to a different vision than most others around us who are not following the way of Jesus. It's a radically different vision. Now, I'm not saying this doesn't mean that we like, you're aiming to like, I want to stick out and I'm going I'm to be a weirdo. Like, I want to stick out as a weirdo in this culture. That's not what I'm, I'm saying. Although that accusation might come. You might live in such a way, people are like, that's really weird. Or, you know, it doesn't mean that we are to protest any and everything that doesn't align with our values. Like, how dare they? No, we're, we're called to be winsome with the message of Jesus. But we don't 
compromise when it's advantageous or beneficial for our social standing or for our image. And there is so much pressure in that. So how, how do we live to declare the praises of God who has given us new birth to a living hope, Peter says? Or put another way, how do we live as witnesses? You are not called to witness. Witness just is as a follower of Jesus. Peter goes on to unpack this in the verses following in chapter 2. So after, after he writes about how we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, he goes on then to work out the practical implications for the people of God. How we live before the Lord, how we live before others. He's, again, he's, he's comparing this to Exodus, how the people were called to live. And so I want to I highlight four applications for how we live as witnesses. First, we're called to live with integrity. Verse 12, he says, live such good lives among the pagans. Now, when he says pagans, he's meaning unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Earlier in chapter 1, he says, be holy in all that you do. Because God is holy, you're called to be holy. That's how you're called to live. Rick Warren, he says, you cannot control the lies that people may speak about you, but you can control the truth. Live so that people have to make stuff up in order to accuse you. You know, we, we had a, a really difficult situation a number of years ago as church elders where we had someone who was seeking financial support from the church that was misrepresenting their financial situation to us at the time. And we, we found out, we knew about what was really going on, and so it turned into an incredibly messy situation. Versions of events being told that cast us elders into a very negative light that simply, it wasn't true. Like it was, a lot of it was just simply un, unbased accusations. We knew the truth. We, but there are certain things we couldn't say. We couldn't even say it to others, but we knew what the truth was. But it didn't make it easy when I was hearing lies spread about us throughout the community being sown in. What do you do in a situation like that? In every area of our lives, new birth in Jesus calls us to live differently, to act differently, to speak differently, to respond differently. Chapter 3 says, Peter says, you are not to repay evil with evil or insults with insults, but rather with blessing. Put that on your computer or on your laptop, the top, as you're on social media. Don't respond to insults with insults. Like how many times do we just not listen to that? It says, Peter says, be eager to do what is right. Be, be willing to suffer for what is right. Do not fear as the world, world fears. Don't fear like the world fears. Be ready to testify to the hope you have in Jesus, he says, when anyone asks. So this is how we cultivate integrity in our lives. And let's be really real about this. This is really hard at times. Really, really hard. Full disclosure, 
I am finding these past number of weeks of increased isolation and lockdown hard. I'm finding it difficult. I've struggled with sin in my attitudes and responses at home where I've, I've snapped in my home at people. This, this season is revealing stuff in my heart that isn't good. Stuff in me that needs healing. Now, sure, if isolation was gone and I could do a whole bunch of things and probably just soothe over those things and, and become busy, but they're there. And, and I find this hard because I value integrity. I hold that as a high value in our leadership. And I, and I hold, like, internally, I hold myself to a high standard. And so I've been finding Satan uses this to discourage me. Like, Paul, you value integrity? Well, what about this? Sowing doubts in me about integrity. So what do we do? We have to live a life of confession and repentance. That's one. And we have to remember who we are, who God says we are. Not, not with an arrogant kind of attitude. We are chosen. We belong to God. That's not an arrogant boast. But we are to live to who we are. Pursue holiness. Pursue righteousness. Second way we live as witnesses. Submission to authority. Yeah, we're going to talk about this. These are days where this is a hot topic right now. How do we interpret what Scripture says about submitting to the government and to authorities? 1 Peter 2, 13 to 15. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors. Okay, Peter's writing this. These were not good people. These were not good dudes that he's saying to submit yourself to. They were part of a corrupt regime. Submit to them who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. You know, when, we're, when the government is aligned with our values, we're excited about these verses. Amen. Let's do that. We don't ha quite have the same response when we disagree with government rules and different health acts. How much is my submission dependent on personal preference is a really important question. You know, and, and you see like, you see individuals on social media, I've seen this, where they're, they, have, they take a hard line on public health orders, like, you better do this. Oh, but I want to support the defunding of the police. So it's whatever aligns to your views is what you're saying. There's been things said by our provincial government lately, I will be totally honest, that I have struggled with immensely and found myself annoyed about. I've seen stuff that's been said lately by government officials. I mean, that annoys me. I do not understand why that's said. There's been stuff said that I said, if I would say that as a leader, I'd be in a lot of trouble. And I find myself irritated and wondering, like, how can that be said? And, I, and we all know there's a lot right now. We, I, we hear this again. There's so much that doesn't make sense. But does that give me the right before the Lord to just do whatever I want to do? And do as I please because I don't agree with something. Where is that line? 
I, that's the questions I'm asking. Am I suggesting blind obedience to the government? Look, it says it there in 1 Peter, just do it. We have to assess things, yes, but how much of our resistance to authority is tied to a desire for control? Consider that Peter is writing these verses to churches in the Roman Empire, a regime that was far more brutal than our system. And these, these verses, they're actually similar to the ones in Romans 13 that are cited quite often. And so I think understanding the situation at the time can help us. Paul there in, in Romans 13, he was writing to a group of house churches that were divided along Jewish and non-Jewish lines. Jews who had been expelled from Rome due to uprisings between the Jewish and the Messianic Jewish communities, those who followed Jesus, those who didn't. And so a bunch of them had just been kicked out of Rome. But war and resistance in Rome was in the air at the time that Paul was writing that. And Paul, what he's saying is, I want you as multi-ethnic Jesus communities to be distanced from this. I want you to disassociate yourself from these resistance movements, these alt-left, these alt-right type of groups. And I think we know this, when faith and politics get intertwined, it gets really weird quick. And so we have to, again, rem we're reminding ourselves, our allegiance is to Jesus and his way, which is not power and control. Jesus' way is submission and humility. So we, we've got to use wisdom to understand these verses. Peter says that we are to live so that we silence the talk of foolish individuals. There's loads of that everywhere around us right now. Foolish talk, ignorant people, all over social media, all sorts of different opinions. Now, Peter wrote this. Peter himself did not submit in the temple courts to the authorities when he was preaching the message, the hope of Jesus, he's preaching it there, and they told him to be quiet, and he said, no, I'm not. He was arrested. So specifically, when it came to preaching Jesus, Peter obviously didn't feel like he had to submit to the authorities. So there, there is this, what we would call this subversive loyalty tension, where Jeremiah talks about this. We are to serve Babylon, seek the good of the city while serving God. Jeremiah talked about that. Third way we live as witnesses. Live for sacrificial freedom. Verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's servants. Literally there, he's saying live as slaves to God. Freedom in Christ calls us to a life of sacrificial service at every turn because we know who we are we know what awaits us as God's chosen people it's our greatest joy to serve the kingdom of Jesus and his what he's doing on this earth his purposes we want to serve that that flies against every message of culture it cuts against our very own nature we want it our way. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And the way of Jesus says, you serve 
his way. And if, if we don't deal with this, that, this one issue in our lives, we will always, always struggle to find joy and contentment for the gospel. Because the, the temptation will be to find substitutes in our lives where we can claim joy and contentment while serving ourselves. So this is what Peter is speaking of when he says, earlier he says, people will see our good deeds. And regardless, he's saying, regardless of their opinions about you and how the media might paint you and how, what people might think about you, they will not be able to deny there's something different about you as a people because of the way you serve. We don't use our freedom in Jesus as an excuse to do what we want to do. We don't embrace cheap grace that allows us just to live for ourselves and then go, it's all, it's all covered by grace. We take on the same attitude of Jesus. We give and we give and we give. The way of Jesus is drenched, if you will, in servitude. The fourth way we live as witnesses last way I want to talk about this morning. We love the church. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So submission to authority comes up once again here for Paul. Speaking of honoring the government, I think it's really key to what he says here. He says, fear God first. Fear God second. A very distant second comes honor the emperor. But, you know, the reason that we can honor the government and the reason we can ultimately do this is because we know that ultimately the government answers to Jesus. The government is on his shoulders. But Peter, he also speaks here of loving the family of believers. Now, this isn't just a one-off for him. When you go through his letter, chapter 1, he writes that we are to have sincere love for one another, loving one another deeply from the heart. He brings it up again in chapter 4. He says, love each other deeply. He uses that same phrase again, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins or offenses, grievances, hurts. Go down the list. Throughout this letter, Peter keeps coming back to the need to love one another in the church. Specifically, he speaks to our love for those in the church. It reminds us of what Jesus says, you shall be known by your love for one another. Love for the church is lived out in a local context, in a local fellowship of believers. We, yeah, we want to pursue this in a wider context. We want to love the church, big picture church. We want to love the church but the New Testament sees this as being lived out with commitment, involvement, and engagement with a local church family. So we've got to wrestle with this because pandemics doesn't mean that we press pause on this. It actually might call you to be actually more effort to engage because you are called as a believer and a follower of Jesus to love the church deeply. So is this... Like, are we just talking about conjuring up happy kind of feelings for one another, like being super friendly, like, hey, yeah, is that what we're talking about here? Like, lo I love you all. Or is it something deeper? 
and a lot more work to produce. Ridding ourselves of strife, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander in our relationships with one another. That's what Peter writes at the beginning of chapter 2. He's, he's tying all this in. He's saying, if you want to love one another deeply, you have to deal with these five issues amongst you. Strife, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Those five are probably the big five that when you look at all problems in the church, you'll hit one of those. They encompass pretty much everything we face. That takes deep work to pursue that. So to live like this, to live with integrity, to live with submission to authority, freedom to serve, and with a deep love for one another, for the church, it's impossible in our own strength and resolve. You won't do it. It's hard. It's full of real struggle. How do we do this? I, I, like, I can just give you the cliche answer it's completely true, but it's kind of the easy way out right now. Just rely on the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're done. Okay, we're done. Good? You good? Just rely on the Holy Spirit. That's true. But Peter digs deeper than this. He's, he, he looks throughout his letter. He's talking about this theme of looking to Jesus as our example, being willing to suffer, surrendering our wills, humbling ourselves before God and others keeps hitting on those themes. Surrender. Humility. This is about identity. All of this is about identity. As God was calling his people in the Sinai Desert, we are called to an identity as God's people on this earth. This is who you are. We have, yeah, we've got to work this out within our cultural context. Like, How does this apply to where we are living? 21st century, first world country. But it begins with embracing the truth of who we are, the implications of this for our lives. And so as, as we come to what has been a, a bizarre, challenging year, uh, there's so many adjectives we could use as we, as we head into 2021, as we head into the unknown. We can cling to the truth of who we are as a people belonging to God and how we will witness to the world around us. So we're going to do this by living with integrity, submission to authority, living for sacrificial freedom, and love for the church. So I want to, I want to end by those four areas, giving you three questions to go away with. First, in which of these areas am I growing and feeling encouraged? Because there's, there's, we can be growing and feeling encouraged in this, going, yeah, I'm growing in that. I'm feeling encouraged by this. God is working in me. Second, in which of these areas do I tend to struggle and or resist? Number three, where can I embrace the way of Jesus, the surrender and the humility of that? in 2021. Let's pray.
Jesus, this has been a year that probably for all of us has been like no other in our lives. We certainly did not expect it. And Lord, we head into another year that is full of unknowns. Lord, as much as we want to will things to be better, we don't know what 2021 holds. Perhaps, Lord, that's the tension right now that you're calling us to, to live in, that we don't know what it holds, but you hold the future and you know. And you're holding us. And we are your people. We're people belonging to you. We are a chosen people. We are a holy nation. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. Lord, we, we readily and willingly humbly admit that we cannot do this on our own, that we need you to help us, that we need to sacrifice and surrender ourselves to the way of Jesus, that the way of Jesus is the way of peace, of love, of joy, of hope. It's the way to wholeness and healing to be formed, to be more like you, that this is the way. We want to follow that way. Lord, help us. Jesus, help us through what has been a very difficult year. Lord, we give our burdens to you. And we thank you for the way that you've been so faithful to us this year and the way that you've met us and will continue to meet us as we go forth. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. We surrender to you. Amen.